Hi, welcome to the Hot Rod Bible Study. So tonight we're in 1 Peter. Um, we're going to be in verses 18 through 25. Um, this is going to be our third study through um, the very first chapter of Peter. We've been taking a lot smaller sections at a time. What, what chapter was it? It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So yes, we haven't even made it out of the first chapter yet. And so yes, this is our third study through... And so I'll go ahead and read um, the first uh, verses here, 18 through 25, and then we'll go back and we'll see what the Lord has for us. But before we get started tonight, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. So, Father God, uh, we lift up this study to you tonight, Lord. Um, we ask, Lord, that our hearts would be open to hear from you, Lord. Change us, Lord, as um, the prayer was tonight, Father. May we be um, transformed tonight, not by anything that we think intellectually, Father, but by your word that tonight it would come into our hearts, Father, and that we would see something fresh, something new from you tonight, Lord. This is our prayer. Father God, thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here we go, verse 18. It says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as of grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. So as tonight, as we um, open up First Peter again, and we hear the very last section, and we're going to conclude out the chapter tonight um, in verse 18 here, one of the things that, um, as we've been traveling through First Peter, we remember that Peter is uh, the disciple who oftentimes talked out of turn. And I think that as us as men, we can relate to Peter as he, we, we love that many times in the Bible, many people talk about Peter and they say, wow, can you believe that Peter asked that? And I don't know about you guys, but I oftentimes think I'm glad that Peter asked the question because I didn't want to have to be the one to come before the Lord and ask him some of these questions. And so Peter is a, a mighty burly fisherman. We remember that this is where he found, uh, you know, and he found him and his brother Andrew and they asked him to come and to follow Jesus. And the thing that's so amazing about Peter as you as you follow his story is that he came immediately and followed the Lord. You know, and, and the Bible talks about that other people in the Bible, when they were asked to follow Christ, that they oftentimes said, well, I have to bury my father. And, and sometimes as we read the Bible, we think some of these things are insensitive because we think that maybe his father was in the process of dying, but it, his father was nowhere near to dying, but he was telling the Lord that, you know what, I'm going to stay with my family until he does die and, and, and do my obligation and then I'll follow you. But we see something in Peter and the disciples. And it really spoke to me as I've been studying this, that the things that the Lord has called us to, that immediately that we don't look at the world or we don't look at the things around it, that immediately we leave and we say, we're going where the Lord has called us. 
And as Mark talked about, there's so many missionaries that go and immediately they do the things um, exactly as as the Lord has spoke to them. One of the things tonight, and, and I didn't want to make the study, you know, all about what's going on here lately. Um, but this is the first time since I've come to this study that we've actually taken a month off. And uh, it, it was, you know, it's interesting that as I've, you know, been studying the word of God, um, I've actually had an opportunity to do a couple of things that I'd never had an opportunity to do. Um, and some of them I wanted to share with you. One of the one of the things, first of all, is I wanted to share a little bit about what happened when I was uh, sick. And I know many of you were sick with also with COVID-19, and I don't want to make the study anything about me. But one of the things that was so interesting to me is, um, you know, most of the, my family had gotten COVID-19 also. But right after like four or five days, they all started getting better and they all started going back to work and they all started going back to school and they all started getting better. And one of the things that as us as men, one of the things that I remember that day six, probably five, six, I was telling myself, you know what, Mike, you just need to suck it up and you need to get better because I don't know what's going on. Oftentimes I felt like I was at the beginning. I felt like I was at the beginning. So finally, I get into day seven, and day seven was probably the worst day that I had. I had realized that I could no longer walk from my living room to the kitchen. I just felt like I was going to collapse on the ground, and I just felt like I wasn't getting enough air. I could not breathe. I could not breathe. And 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 uh, as as uh, Steve talked about tonight, I mean, one of the things about us is that you have to drag us into the hospital because we're not going to go willingly. And so finally, through my children and my wife, they convinced me that, you know what, you, you, you can't breathe. I mean, you're, you're, you can't even walk from here to there. You're going to have to do something. And so finally, I went into the hospital, and that was probably, you know, I don't know. Looking back, I don't know if that was a great decision because I wanted to share with you um, that I got into the hospital. And, you know, really truthfully, I never really got into the hospital. I was out in the hallway um, for two days. I was out there in the hallway uh, but not to take anything away from the hospital. They had, you know, they had plenty of patients. They had plenty of things going on. Um, they were trying to do whatever they could. But one of the things that I really stands out and I'll always remember is there is a doctor that came um, in the middle of the night on the very first night, probably 1130, 12 o'clock at night. And she started asking me about my medical history and started asking me about things. And I have never been in a hospital that was the first time I'd ever received an IV. They were laughing and chuckling, and they thought that I was telling them a story. They wanted to know a list of all the medications that I've taken. I said, I don't take any medication. What are you talking about? And they, they said, are you you're going to leave it blank then? You, you want to leave it blank? I said, well, I'm just telling you the truth. I don't take any medication. So anyway, they went on this route. But one of the things that this doctor came out, and right away as she started saying things about, you know, asking about my medical history, but one of the things that she came out with is she came out with a form and she gave it to me and she said, I want you to, to sign this to be put on a ventilator. Mm -hmm. Right. And so early on, right away, instead of me feeling better in the hospital, right away, I was shocked. I was I was I was not only shocked, but I was reeling to try to understand what she was saying. And one of the things that really spoke out is that and, and not only that, though, dealing with the fact that I could not breathe. I was trying to speak to the lady, but I was having a hard time speaking because I couldn't get enough breath. And so anyway, as we were we were talking that night and as I told her that I didn't want to I didn't want to sign it, she says, well, you're 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 actually putting yourself more at risk because if something happens, you become incapacitated and you can't breathe, then your wife is going to have to we're going to have to call your wife down. And by the time we fill out the paperwork, you know, time is going to pass and all this stuff. So, you know, they're, they're giving you all these worst case scenarios. And I had, I had got at that time, and this is one of the things, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because I had an opportunity for the first time, and this was after, but I had an opportunity to read a book. And I know Pastor Ed, he, this is his favorite author, Max Licato, and, and there's a book, and I've had it in my library for over two years. 
but never even cracked the book. And it's called Six Hours One Friday. And if anybody's ever read the book, it is, it's an amazing book, but it is talks about that what do we anchor to that when things in life come up? And, and just like many of you, I, I've, I've had struggles in life. I've had things happen in life. But this was the first time that something like this had happened that I just felt like it was out of control, that, that there was something that I could not control. It was something that was beyond me. It was beyond me. And this is the time that we understand that we need to, to anchor to who Christ is. You know, it's interesting in the, in the book, it talks about that these men go along and they buy these houseboats. And the, one of the guys, he's only paid three payments on it, and this huge hurricane's coming. And so the only thing he can think about is he takes the rope and he ties this boat to the trees and to the land and to everything. A sailor comes along and sees him and says, no, you don't want to tie a, a houseboat to anything to the land. You want to anchor it. And this is what our lives are about. This is about when the storms of life come in our lives that we are to to anchor ourselves to Christ. And those are the only things that's the true foundation. And, and I believe as, as I could not see what God was doing as I was going through COVID-19 and I couldn't breathe, I couldn't see what he was doing. But finally, his word started to come back to me. You know, I started remembering some of the studies that we have here. And I started remembering that Hebrews 11, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I could not see what God was doing at the time. But I understand that he was building our faith. He was building our faith, not only mine, but ours, that we would trust and put all of our trust in him, knowing that no matter what. And it was in the hospital when I finally surrendered and I said, Lord, if this is how it's going to end, then it's your will. Then it's your will, Lord. And it was when I said that to the Lord, it's when not physically, but spiritually, I started feeling better spiritually it started to do something it started to do a work in me it started to change me i started to see you know what lord that no matter what happens in this life or in the life to come you are with me you are with me and you are doing a work and you know it's it's interesting when when you surrender your children and your wives and your life and you say you know what lord whatever you want i'll do whatever you want if this is your will if you if I, if covid-19 is going to be at the bottom of my on my on my uh, my tombstone it's going to be covid-19 then let so be it and you surrender and you say you know what lord i don't i don't at this point i don't care it's you it's your will lord and these are the things that the lord started to change and started to make it different it's so interesting because i as i was sharing this with you tonight you know life doesn't you know life doesn't stay stagnant and one of the things that I remember is that when I finally, when the day that the next day, when finally a doctor came and said, your, your, your vitals are good. Everything's good. I think we can send you home with oxygen. I think you can get better. You have pneumonia. We can give you antibody. We can give you this. And so this doctor in the morning was like the difference of night and day. And this doctor started saying, I think I can get you. And so she started to prepare the orders for me to get out of the hospital. Anyway, all these things happened. And I started to get out of the hospital. Spiritually, I started feeling better. And your prayers were amazing. Many of you were praying for me. And so your prayers were definitely making me feel a lot better. But one of the things as life is not stagnant, one of the things as I, I got out of the hospital, I remembered that it was the day that my son-in-law was graduating from the Sheriff's Academy in, in Maricopa County. He became a sheriff and I was supposed to be there. And I had told my wife that we would go and we would travel there. But who had been so sick and it, that my world had been turned upside down that I didn't even know what day it was. And I realized that it was the day that we were supposed to be there. And so we finally called them and talked to them a little bit, and I was still having a lot of problems. And so they, they were understanding about it, and it was, it was uh, all things that were happening. But one of the things that, I, that always stand out is 
as I started to feel a little bit better, started to feel a little bit better. And then finally, the day I decided to go back to work, I got off my oxygen. I started feeling like I could breathe. I went back and I said, you know what, Lord, thank you for strengthening me enough. I still felt weak, but I went back to work. And the thing that happens to me is so interesting that happened to me. And this is what I wanted to share with you tonight. I have a dear friend that I work with and he has come here to the study and he has a son who struggles with addiction. And these are one of the things that really jumped out at me that, that the Lord was speaking to me and he was saying, you know what, Mike, that there's more work for, for us, for all of us to be done. And his son, last Thursday, lost his battle with addiction. 35 years old, lost his battle. And it was just devastating to see a man who's done everything as a father, as many of us as fathers, that have done everything that we can do and still to lose that battle. But as many of us are here tonight, I wanted to share with you tonight, if we have somebody in our lives, we need to reach out to them. We need to let them know that we care for them, that we love them, that they, yes, you know, and I think what we don't understand is the drugs of yesterday are not the drugs of today. They're not the same. They're not the same. They can instantly, they make them so potent, they want to become an instant addict, an instant addict over one mistake. And so these are the things that the Lord has put on my heart that we, as followers of Christ, as fathers, as men of God, we need to seek these people out and we need to let them know that we love them. We need to tell them that we love them and we need to share the love and we need to pray people into rehab. We need to pray people into loving. And, and you know, one of the things about addiction, I, I, I used to you know, help teach a study at a sober living home. And one of the things is the source has to be greater than what they're actually involved in right there. And when they come and they come to understand the relationship with Christ, that relationship can draw us out of that. And so we need to understand that. And so I know many of us as fathers, we have these feelings about people that are involved in things, but we need to understand it just like Christ looks at us. There isn't anybody that's too far gone. There isn't anybody that's too far from Christ. And we need to always be reminded that none of us are too far from God. With God, all things are possible. All things are possible. So we'll get into the study tonight. I'm sorry I took a little side note there. So here in verse 18 it says, "Knowing that you were not, uh, that knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, from your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers." First of all, redeemed was to buy something back. In the Roman Empire, there was 50 million slaves, and so. Paul is speaking to them to something that they are relating to that, that they would be redeemed, that they would understand to buy something back. The slaves could actually buy their freedom if they could afford somehow anybody in the, in their family could actually buy their freedom or they could pay their debt. And most of the time it was seven years. And after their debt was paid, they could make a decision to go free or they could make a decision to stay with their owner. And we remember that that's what they would call a doulos, right? That this would be a slave that decided to stay with his master, that he was so good to him that he wanted to stay. And they would take an awl and they would put it through his ear that all would know that he is a, a, a doulos. He was a person that was willing to stay with his master because his master is so good. And this is who we are as our master, Christ, as that we are willingly surrendered to him after all that he has done for us. And we see some of these things tonight as it speaks about here that we were redeemed not of corruptible things like silver and gold. Those are the things that we could never buy our salvation. 
There isn't anybody that can buy their salvation. There isn't anybody that can actually say, I can do enough good to earn my way. That I can, uh, and I know many of us, we, we, we're men, right? We, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. We're going to earn it, right? We're going to earn it, but we cannot earn salvation. It is a gift, right? We know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? It is by grace you have been saved, right? Through faith and not of yourself that anyone would boast. It is by faith. It is a gift of God. And this is the thing that's so important that we need to understand to tell people there's so many people that are trying to earn their way and trying to make, and it speaks about the traditions of men. It speaks about the traditions of men. And I grew up in a church, Roman Catholicism, that it was all about tradition. It was all about tradition. The tradition were so important that we ignored anything that the Bible said because it was tradition that was so much more important. And we need to be careful about traditions. And you know what I love about it is, as, as Pastor Ed has been going through John, and it's interesting to see that on the outside looking in, how is it that somebody can want to accuse Jesus to condemn him to death. They want to kill him because he healed a man that was crippled for 38 years and he healed him on the Sabbath. And they, they look at him with indignation. They look at him with hatred. They want to kill him because what he's done on the Sabbath. When you think about it, they want to kill Jesus for breaking a Sabbath, healing a man on a Sabbath, and they want to kill a person and they think that they're, that's okay. Here he is, God in the flesh, they want to kill God in the flesh for something that he healed, that he made somebody better on the Sabbath. And they go back to their traditions. They think their tradition is so much more important than the love of Christ pouring out his love on someone. And it's interesting to see, as you see it in the Bible, many times we don't see it ourselves. And, I, and I, when, I, when I grew up in the church that I grew in, oftentimes I didn't see the traditions. I didn't see the traditions because it was just so embedded in us that this is what you did. And this is how you earn favor with God. Not understanding that it is no favor with God, that God, it is a, a gift. It is what he has done on the cross, not what, well, not anything. We can't bring anything, right? Our, we have but filthy rags. That's what we are. We're but filthy rags. The Lord is what brings us. Did Christ work on Sunday, but he told the crippled man, take up your bed and go. Yes. He says, okay, well, now you work on Sunday, too. That's what you do work on Sunday, that too. Really that made him mad. And, and you know, there at the uh, the very last verse, one of the things that they really stood out to them, that they said that he made himself equal with God, you know, and, and, and one, but nobody, but nobody challenged that. Nobody said, well, let's look into him. Let's look into where he's come. Let's look into that a little bit more. No, they just automatically said, there's no way you could be God. There's no way you could be God. And they, and they just, they condemned him for that. They're blind. They're blind. Because they were blind by the traditions. They were blind by the traditions. So we see that there. And so here in verse 19, it says, but with the precious, this is what we were bought with, with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. As I read this, one of the things that I'm always reminded of, we talked about Peter being a, a, a burly fisherman and he calls the blood of Christ. He call it precious, the precious blood of Christ. And this is one of the things that we always need to be reminded of. We always need to be reminded of the blood of Christ. There's so many churches today that are trying to get rid of the blood of Christ and the sacrifice that he atoned for our sins. They try to get better and they say, hey, you know what? All that stuff in the Old Testament was gory. All that, all that, all that, you know, the, the, the scourging and all the blood that was spilled out for each and every one of our sins. Many churches, they try to get away from the blood spilled, the blood covenant, and we become a bloodless 
sacrifice that they no longer want to acknowledge the blood of Christ, but it is by Christ that we're saved. Matthew 26, as we and there at church, we take communion, right? We take communion in Matthew 26. It talks about communion as it says the take of the uh, of the of the blood, right of the blood. And he said, do this often in remembrance of me, right? In his sacrifice. And one of the things that I love in, in Matthew 26, especially that he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it with you anew in my father's kingdom. And I don't know about you guys, but I look forward to that day that we drink of the fruit of the vine with our father in his kingdom. This is a promise that he's given each and every one of us that we would do that often. And so the blood is so important that we see that this is the thing that atoned our sin, that this is what it paid for our sin. There was a there was two trains that were going down the track, one a freight train and the other one was a passenger train. These two trains were going down the track and they were coming together. And one of the, the conductors of the passenger chain pulled out a flag that he picked off and he pulled out a flag and he was showing it at a distance to the freight train. The freight train saw the flag, the conductor saw the flag, and he did according to what the, tr the flag had said. And so he started to make provisions to do what the flag had said, and he started to do it. And as the train started to come closer and closer together, at the last minute, the freight train conductor jumped out of the train as the trains collided. And they collided and many people were killed in the passenger side of the, of the train and they, they derailed and many of the passengers were killed. When they brought the conductor in and they asked him, why did you jump from the train and why did you not yield to the flag that they had given you? He said, I did yield to the flag. The flag that they were showing was a yellow flag and in the train industry, it meant to slow down. And he said, I slowed down until I realized that we were going to collide. And he said, and the conductor that amazingly had lived on the other side said that the flag that he had pulled out was a red flag, but he had been tarnished by the sun. And he said that that flag was no longer red. It was now yellow. And it was that flag now saved no one. And this is exactly the blood of Christ that we are to share and tell people that it is by the blood of Christ that they are saved. And if we go around preaching a gospel that doesn't tell of the blood of Christ that was spilled out for me and for you, that that bloodless, uh, that bloodless sacrifice saves no one. We are to tell people of the sacrifice that the Lord paid. Many of us, salvation came free, but it cost God everything. It cost him his son, his one and only begotten son. One of the things that we remember in Genesis 22, it talks about when Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac. I don't want to bore you in all the details, but he sacrificed. He was asked by the Lord to sacrifice. It's the Bible for the first time it says, talks about your son whom you love. The very first time that the Bible talks about love. And it mentions it in Genesis 22. And he tells him to take his son and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, the same place that Jesus Christ would be sacrificed for us. And it was a, a picture of the coming Messiah. But the thing that's so amazing about this that we see that some of the things that we see that when Isaac was walking up to Mount Moriah, he asked his father Abraham, okay, Lord, or okay, Abraham, we have the, we have the wood, we have the fire, where's the sacrifice, right? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide a lamb. The Lord will provide a lamb, right? And as they went up to the hill, we see something in Isaac that he had the wood on his shoulder, a picture of the cross that Jesus would come and bring the cross 
to that same mountain 2,000 years later, and he would bring it for you and for me. But the thing that's so amazing about it, when he gets to the place, and remember that Abraham is going to take that knife and he is going to plunge it into his son Isaac, his one and only begotten son. And the Lord spoke to him from heaven and said, do not do it. But he said that he would provide the lamb. And we remember that in the thickets, there was a ram, not a lamb. It was a ram. But we remember that Abraham was so excited that he took the ram and he sacrificed it. And he called the place in the King James, he called it Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And the thing that we don't see in that whole picture is the Lord did provide. Because in John 129, it says, behold, John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lord provided the Lamb. And as it spoke about here, without blemish and without spot. This is the only thing that could save us. It didn't have to be a Lamb without spot and without blemish. That God came and he sent his son, the sinless son, for us, to die for us. And as I spoke about this last time we were together, I don't know about you, as the more I think about the sacrifice of Christ, that he atoned it for me, I say, Lord, you got jipped because you, you love me so much. You gave away your precious son. But this is how much God loves us. This is how much God loves us. And, you know, oftentimes I heard this as I became a new believer. I oftentimes heard of the love of Christ for us. And I always thought that, sure, God loves the world. God loves a lot of things. But what you don't understand is God loves you, Don, Paul, Bill. God loves us individually. He wants to have that relationship with us daily. It's just so important that we see that love that he has. And so that sacrifice... Go ahead, Paul. Pastor Edward teaching Edward yes. say if we were Pentecostal, we'd be shouting Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. But we're Amen. So calm, we're so calm, yes. Yes. I'm trying to contain myself, huh? <laughs> here here in verse twenty it says, uh, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. And this is another amazing thought that you think of it, that our salvation was never an afterthought. That before the foundations of the earth, before he ever created anything in the world, he had a rescue plan for each and every one of us. One of the things that we see early on in Genesis when we saw that Adam and Eve, remember that he had to give them, just like us, he had to give us free choice, right? Otherwise we would have been robots, right? And he didn't want a robot, he wanted us to have free choice. But God knew all along because he's God, he knew that our hearts were deceitfully wicked. And he knew that we would take, that we would eat of the forgive, the, forgive, the, the fruit that we were not supposed to eat of or the, or the garden that we were not to eat of. And we see that God knew all along, but he foreordained salvation before the foundations of the earth. He knew all along that it was a, it was a love that he has for his children that he all along, he knew that he was going to create that bridge to save us because he loved us that much. I just, I just love that, that that love that he had for us, he always was looking to save us. And so here in verse 21, it says, Whom through him believed in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that our faith and our hope are in God. We see that God raised Jesus from the dead, and that our hope and our faith are in God. And so God has instilled that faith and our hope in him. So here in verse 22, it says, since 
you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. And this is what God has called us as men. And I don't know about you guys, but the older I get, um, I start to see it's easy for me to love people or to love others who love me. It's always the hardest when people don't necessarily agree with what I believe in or don't believe exactly what I say. It's, it becomes a little bit harder to love them. But Christ has called us to love each and every one of us. And in and it, you know the thing that's so amazing that in John 13, he gave us such an example. And, and this example he gave to his disciples that we remember that he was going to the cross. He was going to the cross. And, and I don't know about you, but but something so petty as COVID-19 that I felt like I, I, that I was being, anytime that, that something was going on in my life, I felt like it was a bother. But here is Jesus Christ who's going to die for the sins of the world and knew he was going to die. And this is what he does out of love. In chapter 13, he does, he washes his disciples' feet. And one of the things that we see in this is that he washes his disciples' feet. He takes them and he starts washing his disciples' feet. And one of the people that comes, and this is the reason why I bring this up, it is Peter who comes and says, Lord, are you washing my feet? And he said, no, Lord, you won't wash my feet. And the Lord tells him, if I don't wash your feet, I ha you have no part with me. He said, what I'm doing now, you do not understand, but you will later. And then this is when Peter, he turns around and he says, Lord, don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands and wash my head. And he says, no. The Lord says, no, if you have bathed, you only have need that I wash your feet. It was in humility that the Lord was trying to show them that what he was doing. And he said, you call me teacher and you call me Lord and that I am. But what I'm doing, you do not understand. He said, what I'm the example that I'm giving you that you would and see the disciples, they're thinking to themselves, if Jesus Christ is washing my feet, we will return the favor and we will wash his feet. But this is what Jesus tells them. Because I have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. And this is the love that he is telling them that they should have for one another. In that same chapter in verse 34 and 35, he tells them, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. And this is what he has called each and every one of us, to love others no matter what, and that we were to do the things. And, and it's amazing to me to think that the disciples thought, you know what, if Jesus washes my feet, I'll wash his feet. But then they started looking at each other, and that means I have to wash Peter's feet. That means I have to wash John's feet. They started looking at each other like, wow, this is, this is a tall order. But this is how much God has called us to love one another, to love one another by this he will know that we are the disciples of God by this. It's just so powerful to me to think to think about that love that we have for him. So here in verse 23, it says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And when we think about the, when I think about the word of God, I'm always reminded of John 1, right? But in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in the beginning was, was God. And so we see that this amazing word of God that it is the, the, the love of God that is always with us. And this is the, the power that we, we draw from. And this is the, the, uh, the foundation where we grab of the things. One of the things as I was thinking about the word of God, and this just really quick, it comes from, um, this comes from Mark 4. Um, and, it, and when we speak about the word, I'm oftentimes reminded um, that the word comes um, to people in different ways. Um, but I love the way that Jesus explained it here. And this comes from Mark um, chapter 4, verses 13 through 20. 
And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? He said, The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear Satan come, and immediately it takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. It says, These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. It says, Afterward, they, tribulation and persecution arise, and, and for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the, they are the ones to hear the word, and the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering it, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. It said, but these are the, the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, and some 100. And so we see that it is by the word of God, that it is the living, breathing word of God, that we are to draw our, this is where we are to put our anchor in the living, breathing word of God. Because this book is like any other book that we've ever seen, that this is book is something that it is alive. Jesus is alive in this book, that it speaks into our hearts, and it is whatever you need. Jesus is whatever you need, and it is here in this book. And so we are to, to constantly be looking to this book. One of the last things, uh, as we, well, I'll get to into the end of it here, I wanted to share with you. It says um, here in verse 24, it says, because all flesh is as of grass and the glory of man as the flowers of the grass. The flower withers and its uh, flower falls away. This is speaking about our life. Um, and I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I brought a, a, an illustration of our lives that we spend so much time seeking the, the red. I had a rope and it just had a red piece of tape on the front end. And we spend so much time thinking about that short little red piece of rope, which is our lives. And we don't spend enough time thinking about eternity that is behind it. And this is a thing that we always need to be thinking about, the eternal part that we need to send our treasures into heaven, our treasures into heaven, that we would see that, that uh, the things. And so life is short. Um, but here in verse 25, it says, But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. The gospel, when I hear the word gospel, I'm always reminded that the gospel is the good news. And as I was, you know, um, as just many of you were home quarantined with COVID-19, I don't know about you that they used to call the, the, the news that came in in the television, they used to call that the news. But I don't know how many of you have watched that, but it is, to me, it is the bad news that comes through that television. There's so many things that you can take away from your life, anxieties, things that go on in life. And there's, I can't believe that there's still people that sit around and watch that news because the news that we need to in, you know, encircle our lives around is the news, the gospel of Christ. That this is the thing that lifts us up, that builds our spirit, that builds who we are. And so we need to stay enamored and needs to stay in the word of God. One of the last things I'll leave with you tonight is um, there was a, a lifeguard. She was about, approximately 95 pounds. Um, she was working at a lake. And she was there, and, and a couple times a year, usually they don't have anybody drowned in the lake. And so one day she was out there at the lake, and she um, was was uh, doing her normal duties. And uh, so somebody had started screaming and started yelling like, hey, there's someone there's someone over there in the lake that's, that's going under. There's someone going under. 
and she stood up on the podium and she was looking out and she saw the person and she was standing there. And so she, this person was going under the water, going under the water, and she could see this person. And people started to tell her, aren't you going to jump? Aren't you going to jump out there and help him? Aren't you going to go and help him? She kind of sat back and she kind of waited a while. Instead of her jumping from the top of the tower, she started climbing down the tower and she got to the end of the, of the, of the water and she started to get in the water. She had her little uh, red little thing that goes in there, the water with her. And some of the other lifeguards started to come around. She, she was speaking to them, saying something to them, but the people couldn't hear what was going on. And then some of the ladies started saying, what is going on? Why is she not going in there to save them? And the person finally kind of went underneath a couple times. And then finally, as they went last time, they took a last breath and they went down. And this is when she jumped into the, to the water and she went in and she grabbed him by the arm and she started bringing him back too. And he was a big burly guy and she was only like 95 pounds. So one of the other lifeguards came and helped him. And, and so when she drugged him up and they started doing CPR on him, they, some of the people there started saying, what were you doing? Didn't you see him? What was going on? What was going on? But one of the things that she said, she said, I was waiting for him to surrender, to get tired. And this is exactly what it reminded me what happened this past week that the Lord was telling me, Mike, are you tired? Are you, are you, are you surrendered? Do you, are you had enough? Then surrender it all to me. And this is what the Lord is telling each and every one of us, that we will surrender and give our lives to him. Amen. Amen. So, Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your sacrifice, Father. We, we, we don't really can't even grasp in our minds the, the love that you have for each and every one of us, Father. Lord, we ask tonight, Lord, that you would use each and every one of us, Father, in a mighty way that we would draw people to who you are, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.